If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And if for some reason you were not able to bring your copy of God's word with you, you should find one in the hymn rack in front of you. It is of the same translation that I'm reading from, the New American Standard Translation of the Holy Scriptures. And today we're looking at Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 as a basis for the message, which is entitled Satan's Invisible Army. This is another message in our series of following the subject of spiritual warfare. And in order for us to be able to be victorious in this warfare, just like in any other war or battle, it is essential that we know who our enemy is and know how that enemy operates and how that enemy can be defeated. So these uh, lessons and sermons that we've been looking at are leading in to the rest of Ephesians chapter six, uh, talking about the different parts of the armor, the spiritual armor that we are to wear uh, in this spiritual warfare in which we are engaged. But we've been looking at how this all began, going back to the book of Genesis and the first three chapters, how that God created a perfect world. The couple that was there in the Garden of Eden were perfect until Satan in the third chapter uh, entered the scene and uh, tempted and deceived Eve uh, in taking the forbidden fruit and in doing so disobeying the Lord and then given to her husband, Adam, who also ate. And it was through their act of disobedience that the door of sin was opened and sin came into the world. It has affected everything in our world. Individuals, you and myself, are affected by sin. We are born with a sinful nature. And even nature itself looks forward to the day of redemption. In the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, it talks about uh, creation, all of creation groaning and moaning for the day of redemption. And so the sin that started in the Garden of Eden through Adam's deception has affected everything in this world. But thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is to return to this earth and to redeem this earth and all mankind who believe in him and trust him as Lord and Savior. So Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. Uh, let me begin with verse 10, then 10, 11, and 12. Finally, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Notice in verses 11 and 12, the word against. The word against appears five times. To stand firm against. In verse 12, to struggle is, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against powers and against the world forces of this darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. The word against here doesn't just mean opposition. It carries with it the idea of hostile, of vicious, mean, uh, mean-spirited and hostile opposition. So this is describing uh, the attitude and action of the devil, Satan, also known as Lucifer, who is against us. He is our hostile enemy. He hates us and he seeks to destroy us individually and collectively as the people of God. Tony Evans, the minister at uh, Oak Cliff in Dallas, says that you and I are at war in fact, he says we are engaged now in the mother of all battles, 
So we are indeed waging war against the enemy. Billy Graham has said the great war of the ages continues to rage. And Warren Wiersbe says the Christian life is not a playground, as some Christians think, but rather it is a battleground. So we are at war, and as I said, in any war, there is an army and someone who is in charge of that army, and the person in charge lays out all of the strategy, gives the orders, and he leads the way in the battle. And so in this spiritual warfare, the foe who is against us is comprised of an army, an invisible army. We call it the army of the demons and the one who is in charge of the demons and of the spiritual army is none other than Lucifer, the devil himself. Satan is in charge. In Matthew 12, 24, Satan is called Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Beelzebub was the name of the pagan god related to Baal. Baal was the pagan god to whom people worshiped. One of the ways that they worshiped him was to take their infant children and throw them into a pit of fire and sacrifice them in their worship of Baal. Baal or Beelzebub literally means the Lord of the flies. And it is an Old Testament term that is used in reference to Satan himself who is called the prince of the demons. He is their leader. Now, belief in demons in our day and time is sometimes frowned upon and rejected by a lot of people to think that now in this modern technological age that it is foolish for us to believe in such things as the devil or as demons. The very idea seems to be out of superstition and some wild imagination belonging to the world of fairy tales and folklore. But if we accept the authority of the Bible, and I do, I believe that the, this book that I hold in my hand that you have is the divinely inspired word of God. And I believe that it is the truth and that it tells us among other things that Satan is real, that Satan exists, and there are such things as the devil and his demons. Jesus believed in the existence of demons and offered, if you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, will discover that he encountered demons on many occasions and he cast out demons of those who were possessed by them. Likewise, he healed those who were afflicted because of the demons that existed in their lives. And so we ask the question, was Jesus simply accommodating the superstitions of his day? Was he gullible? Was he ignorant of the facts and reality? Well, since Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus came into the world to bear witness to the truth. In John chapter 18 and verse 37, that's what our Lord said to Pilate when Pilate was interviewing him as to who he was. And Jesus said to Pilate, I have come to bear witness to the truth. And then in John chapter 14 and verse six, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So Jesus believed in demons. He came to overthrow the demons. And so I take his word over anybody else's and God's word over anything else that has been written or published. So demons are real as I understand them and accept them. So again, we ask such questions there as where did demons come from? What are they like? What do they do? And how can we defeat them? rather than to be defeated by them. 
So in your outline today, there are five basic ideas regarding this subject and idea of demons. The first thing that we want to look at is the origin of demons. Where did demons come from? How did they originate? And uh, the simple question is, of course, uh, Satan did not create demons. Satan cannot create anything. God is the only individual who can create and so uh, where did the demons come from? Well, as we understand the teaching of the scriptures, uh, that demons are angels, angels who rebelled against the Lord, joining Satan in his rebellion against the Lord. And when they joined Satan in their rebellion against the Lord, they were expelled from heaven. And uh, so a demon is, is simply uh, uh, an angel, we call them fallen angels. In the Bible, uh, in the, especially the King James Version of the Bible, uh, it will say uh, the devils and have the word devil plural, D-E-V-I-L-S. But there's only one devil, that's Satan. And so the devils, spelled plural, is a reference to the fallen angels, the demons. They're also referred to in the scriptures not only as devils, but also as evil spirits, evil spirits or wicked spirits. Uh, so when you read your gospel accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, you come across evil spirits or devils. It's a reference to the demons, the angels who fell with Lucifer when he rebelled against uh, the, uh, Satan. If you have your Bibles with you, just uh, take your Bibles and turn to the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation. Now, the fall of Lucifer took place uh, prior to the creation of the world, I do believe. And uh, because when you come to the third chapter of Genesis, Satan uh, is already in existence and he uses a serpent to deceive Eve and Adam in taking the forbidden fruit. So somewhere, we don't know exactly when, some say before creation ever took place, some said after creation, but prior to the Garden of Eden, but somewhere prior to the beginning of time in history, Satan rebelled against the Lord and uh, was expelled from heaven. In the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, look at verse three. Then another sign appeared in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and on his head were seven diadems. In the book of Revelation, numbers are symbolic, the number seven being a perfect number or complete number. Uh, so uh, the word horns would refer to power and authority. Uh, so they're seeing this great, great red dragon having uh, uh, seven heads and ten horns, so full authority that he has on his head. And then notice in verse 4, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Let's stop right there for, I believe, between that word, earth, and the next word uh, is a, a period of time. And I'll try to explain to you as best I can. His fall swept across away a third of the stars of heaven. As I understand the scriptures, the word stars there is not a reference to the stars that you see in the sky. Stars is sometimes used in the Bible in reference to angels. And so in this uh, fourth, chap fourth verse of chapter 12, uh, uh, evidently uh, approximately one third of all the angelic hosts were swept away and followed Lucifer in 
his rebellion against the Lord. And, uh, and so he, he was cast out. Then you'll notice in the latter part of verse four, it says the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. The word woman here is not a reference to Mary. It is a reference to the nation of Israel. And so uh, he stood there. You remember when he was born, Jesus was born. Uh, then uh, Herod tried to kill him. And uh, by having all the children who were two years of age and younger uh, put to death. And so in the first part of verse four, you have the rebellion of Lucifer and the third of the heaven, heavenly angels rebelling with him, cast out. And then Jesus is born and the devil is there to try to destroy him when he came. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, 2 Peter 2, 4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgments. Now, 2 Peter 2, 4 is a reference to not all of the angelic hosts that fell, but a portion of them, evidently a part of the third of the angels that rebelled are held in a bottomless pit called the abyss. They will not be released until the, battle, uh, the latter days of, of the great tribulation on the earth. But there are a number of demons that are free to roam the earth. And Satan, who wants to be God but cannot be God, because one reason why he's not all powerful, another reason why he's not all present. Uh, so he cannot be everywhere at the same time. And so he uses his demons uh, to tempt us and to, tempt, uh, to commit sin and uh, to be evil. And so oftentimes when you're tempted, it could be the devil himself or it may be one of his demons that are tempting you. Uh, when he fell in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, just write the reference down. Luke 10, 18, Jesus said this, I was watch watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. It's past tense. So he's talking about the, the prior rebellion of Lucifer. And he said, I saw him. I saw him when he was falling from heaven and it was so fast, he said it was just like lightning streaking across the skies. Jesus said, I was watching Satan when he fell from heaven like lightning. And so uh, the dragon is loose. He's got uh, demons that are following him and doing his bidding. And so they are fallen angels. That's how they, were, they were, uh, got their start. The Lord did not create uh, the devil. He did not create the demons. He created angels. But Lucifer, we looked over the, at this before in Isaiah uh, chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, talks about how Lucifer coveted the worship that was being given to the Lord. He wanted it for himself. And he said, I just want, I want to be God. I want to ascend to the mountain. I want to sit on the throne of God. I want to be God. And so he coveted all of that, and so he, he lost his position in heaven. He's angry, he's full of hate, and he's out to destroy and thwart God's purpose of redemption. So that's the origin of demons, the fallen angels who rebelled with Lucifer. But notice the second thing on your outline, and that is the nature of demons. There, there are characteristics of these demons. There are four of them. First of all, they are spiritual beings. Notice in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and world forces of this darkness and against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So up front, Paul says, our enemy is not a human being. It's not flesh and blood. What we are dealing with is spiritual forces, spiritual beings. 
and principalities and powers and rulers in the darkness of this world. And uh, principalities and powers and rulers all speak of leaders and people or, or individual demons that are, are in charge of various places in high places. In high places is a reference to what we would call outer space. Let me give you an Old Testament example of what I'm trying to say to you about there being spiritual beings in heavenly places. In the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel is in prayer and uh, he has sent a petition to the Lord. And as he is in prayer, suddenly there is a tap on his shoulder. Someone is getting his attention. And when he turns around, it is an angel. And uh, Daniel is, becomes frightened. He begins to tremble when he falls to his knees. And the angel says to Daniel, don't be afraid because as soon as you prayed, immediately God dispatched me with the answer. That should say to you, when you pray, you don't have to wait days and weeks and months to, to have your prayer heard and received in heaven. The moment you, the second that you say your prayers, it goes to heaven immediately. So the angel said to Daniel, when you prayed, the word came immediate to me and the Lord dispatched me to come to you. I'm on, I was on my way to you to bring the message of the Lord, but I was detained by the prince of Persia. And uh, he said, we had a battle going on in, in, the, in the outer space there, in, in the empty, empty spaces out there. We were at war there and I was detained. And I had to call for Michael, the archangel, to come to my assistance. Otherwise, I would still be there. But he came to my assistance and he helped me. And now I've come to deliver for you the message that the Father wanted you to receive. So the prince of Persia evidently was a reference to a demon who was responsible for overseeing what was going on in the kingdom of Persia. And um, I think that there, and I have no way of proving this other than that example out of Daniel, uh, I don't know but what there's a demon assigned to every nation in the world. I think what's going on over in Syria, in Iraq, and Iran has behind all the human forces a demon that is aggravating it and seeing to it that it's being carried on. And so we are not fighting against the, the people and the armies that we There's something else or someone else behind all of it. And the scripture says it's the devil and it's his demons and they are spiritual individuals. And these are, are very powerful individuals. When uh, Jesus sent out 70 disciples recorded in Luke chapter 10, uh, they went out and they cast out demons and healed people of their diseases and so forth. When they came back, they were all excited. And uh, Jesus said, uh, well, they said to Jesus, we were able to cast out, cast out demons, man. We could cast out demons. Jesus said, well, you, you shouldn't get excited about that. You should rather be excited for the fact that uh, your name is written down in the book of life and that these spirits are subject to your authority that I've given to you. So they're, they're, they're evil spirits. Notice the second thing, not they're spiritual beings, but they are also intelligent beings. In Mark chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, Jesus, uh, just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. So the word unclean spirit is a reference to demons. This is Mark 1, 23 and 24. And then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, a demon. And he cried out saying, what do we have to do with you? That is the evil spirit, the unclean spirit spoke to Jesus. The unclean spirit recognized Jesus. 
And he said to Jesus, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. So this is an evil spirit and he has knowledge. He is intelligent. He understands. He recognized Jesus and he recognized who he was and he recognized his authority. Have you come to cast us out before our time? We know who you are. You are the son of God. You know, over in the book of James, chapter two and verse 19, James makes the comment to his readers. He says, you believe in God, but the demons also believe in God. They do. I mean, they were there. God created them. If, we, if it were possible, and I, I believe the devil is here today and he's trying to interfere with what's going on in this meeting, but if it were possible for us to personify the devil and have him to appear right here on this stage and I would ask him, Lucifer, who is Jesus Christ? He would say to you, he is the son of God. But would that make him uh, one who's committed? What is a believer? A believer is someone who doesn't just believe intellectually, but a believer is someone who is committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and depending upon him for salvation only exclusively in Jesus. And the devil says, yeah, I believe in God. I believe that Jesus is his son, but I'm not for him. I'm against him. So demons and the devil are intellectual. They have knowledge. They know who God is and they know things. Notice the third thing, not only are they spiritual and intellectual, they are very powerful, very powerful. Take your Bibles and turn to the eighth chapter of the book of Luke, Luke chapter eight. In the eighth chapter of the book of Luke, uh, we have the account of a man who is possessed by uh, an evil spirit. And in Luke chapter eight, verse 27, well, let's get the complete idea. Look at verse 26. Luke 8, chapter 8, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out into the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons. Notice it's plural, demons, more than one. And who had not been put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, what business do you have with us each other? Jesus, son of the most high, I beg you, do not torment me. This is, the, uh, this is the demon speaking. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times. He was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So the point that I'm trying to make there, of course, is that demons are very strong. Here is a man who was demon-possessed, and yet he was very powerful. Nobody could contain him. Nobody could bind him. They had put chains on him, but he just snapped them off like they were, like they were just strings. So a demon can be very, very powerful. And then the fourth thing is that they are wicked, wicked beings. Uh, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 47 talks about a man who was demon-possessed, and this, this demon was cast out of him, and it says that this demon went out roaming around because they, they like to have a place to abide. This man did nothing to fill the vacuum that had been created in his life by this demon having been cast out. He didn't fill it up with the presence of the Lord. He had just been exercised out of him. So when the demon came back around and he saw that the house, his heart and his body was still unoccupied, 
He went and got seven other demons and brought them back and together they took a residence in his life. So there were eight of them in him and it says the latter state was more evil than it was at the beginning. So demons are evil, wicked individuals. The word unclean means foul and impure and filthy. The word wicked means degenerate, derelict, vicious, bad, harmful, lewd. And so they were wicked, mean, hateful, unclean, filthy beings that reside in people. And so they're spiritual, intellectual, powerful, and wicked beings. Now let's look at their activities for a few moments. The activities of demons, there are five. Number one, they can cause physical affliction. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22, you have record of an individual who is both mute and blind. Matthew chapter 15, excuse me, chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, beginning with verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man both spoke and saw. So this demon possessing this man caused him to be unable to speak and caused him to be blind. So demons can cause physical affliction. Now let me hasten on to say that it would be wrong for us to say that every person who is sick is sick because uh, they are demon possessed. That would not be true. There is a lot of sickness that takes place. I get sick, you get sick. And it's not because we are demon possessed. It's because we are human and we're subject to disease and bacteria and we get sick. But I do believe that there are some diseases that, that people have that are caused by demons. Here's an example of one who was. He could not speak. He could not see. And it was because he was possessed by a demon. Notice the second thing. Not only are they causing physical affliction, they teach false doctrine. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, and the first uh, six verses. We don't have the time to look at all of them. My time is already up, but let me hurry on with it. They teach false doctrine. First Timothy chapter four and verse one. But the Spirit, spelled with a capital S, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Don't have the time to read the rest of the passage, but there he's saying in the last days, there will be a movement among the people uh, instigated by the demons and these demons will lead them to teach false doctrine. And then the next thing is that they promote the occult. The occult. And only one example for this is in Acts chapter 16. This is the account where this little girl uh, who was a slave, uh, she was demon possessed. She followed... Uh, Paul around and uh, would say to Paul of, of Paul and the, his disciples who were with him that they were the messengers of the Lord. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 16. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer that a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us uh, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, not to her, but to the spirit that was in her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. 
So they didn't have to go through a great big ritual, uh, it, throwing water on her, holy water, and doing all these things. No, Paul just turned and said to come out of her in the name of Jesus, and it happened. And so uh, they, uh, the occult says she was a, a, a person involved in divination, a, a person who does divination or is involved in that, uh, uh, seeks uh, through uh, the uh, psychic, uh, tarot cards, Ouija boards, crystal balls, astrology, palm reading, clairvoyance, all of these are part of the occult and spiritism. And so this young lady possessed of a demon was involved in that. And then uh, number four, they are the forces behind idolatry. Again, in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Paul is saying that in essence, when a person falls down before an idol and worships an idol, what in reality they are doing is that they are worshiping the demon that is behind that idol, not physically behind it, but that is represented by that idol. They are actually worshiping demons rather than the idol that is there. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, and verses 14 through uh, uh, chapter 10 verses 14 through 21 and then the final thing that they do not only do they cause physical affliction and teach false doctrine and promote the occult and the forces behind idolatry but they can possess people we've already looked at individuals who are demon possessed sometimes the question is asked can Christians be possessed by demons and as I understand the scriptures and my belief is no you cannot be the reason for this, I'll try to explain as simply as I can. When you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God took up residence in your heart. Okay? So Paul says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a law in physics that says no two, no two objects can occupy the same space at the same time. So if you're possessed by the Holy Spirit, then you cannot be possessed by the evil spirit. So Christians cannot be possessed by the devil. We can, however, be influenced by the devil. There's a difference from being possessed and being influenced. I can be influenced, it's called a temptation. I can be tempted to do something that's wrong, that's evil, that is sinful. And the devil can influence me, and especially if I am a worldly Christian. If I am an immature Christian, if I don't spend, that's why I, I just harp and hammer at you the importance of reading the scriptures and memorizing it and hiding it in your heart. If you don't spend time in this book, if you don't spend time in prayer, if you don't hang around Christians, my friend, you are opening yourself up to demonic influence and the devil can use you. He cannot possess you, but he can influence you and use you. Now, if you are not a Christian, then the Holy Spirit does not live in you. And yes, you are subject to becoming demonically possessed. You can be possessed by a demon. A believer cannot. Now, quickly, let me go on to the fourth idea, and that is the overthrow of demons. Satan and the demons share a common origin, a common passion, and also face a common fate. Paul assures us that Jesus must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. And Satan and the demons are some of those enemies of, of the Lord and of his people. And so they will be defeated. Uh, Matthew 12, 28 says, Jesus said, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the fact that Jesus was able to cast out demons was evident that he was the son of God. 
and he cast demons out and defeated them. He defeated them on the cross uh, and Satan on the cross. Their destination is hell. Hell is a place the Bible says that is prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. Matthew 25, 41 says, depart from me, accursed one. He's talking to demons now. Depart from me, accursed ones, and to the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. The devil and his angels. So hell is just as real as heaven, and hell is a prepared place, just like heaven is a prepared place. And hell is a prepared place burning with fire and brimstone, and it is made especially for the devil and the angels that followed and followed him and everyone whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life. So if you die without the Lord Jesus as your personal savior, you're going to hell, but you're going to a place that was not intended for you to be there. You'll be there with the devil and his angels, and the devil, I've told you before, in Revelation chapter 20, is not in charge of hell. The devil will be tormented for all eternity in hell itself. The devil is not in charge of hell. So just get that out of your mind. He is not. God is in charge of hell and he has made hell for the devil, for his angels. And according to the book of Revelation, anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life will join them. And there will be outer darkness and torment and weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. That is the ultimate goal and destination for the devil. That's where he will spend all eternity. That is his destiny. And now finally, let me come to the conclusion, and that is what should be our response to the demons. There are three things on your outline that I've given to you that will help you when, as a Christian, as a Christian, as a believer in the Lord, what you can do when you feel tempted, when you feel the presence of the devil in your life trying to get at you, here's what you can do. Number one, use the word of God effectively. Use it effectively. Notice in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. He's listing now the various parts of the armor that the Christian is to wear in spiritual battle. Verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So this book I hold in my hand, the Word of God, this is your sword. You remember when Jesus was tempted, recorded in Matthew's Gospel? When the devil, when he was out in the, in, the, in the desert and the devil started tempting Jesus and he said to Jesus, you've been out here 40 days and 40 nights, you're hungry. You're the son of God, you're God. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus said what? Quoting scripture, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then uh, he took him up to a high pinnacle and said, cast yourself off. You see, the devil can quote scripture too because he says, the word says, the scripture says that he'll not allow your feet to even, you know, be, be damaged, to stumble across a stone. And Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then Satan, who is the prince of this world and the God spelled with a little g of this world, paraded all the nations of the world before Jesus and said, if you'll bow down, I give all these nations to you. And of course, Jesus again responded by saying, it is written. So every time, that the devil tempted Jesus to do something, he quoted scripture. This is your offensive weapon in your use in the battle against the devil. This is your weapon, this is your sword, this is what you use. You need to study this book, you need to memorize the scriptures so that when you are attacked, you can defeat the devil and not be defeated by the devil. 
So learn this book. You don't have to memorize the whole book, just a few verses of scripture and use them. It's what I do when I'm tempted of the Lord. I just quote scripture. I use the sword. That's what I have. That's what you have. And then secondly, plead the, buddy, bleed, plead the blood of Jesus constantly. Revelation chapter 12. This is a description of what goes on during the great tribulation period, but I believe it also applies to us here and now. Revelation 12, beginning with verse 7. There was war in heaven because, uh, see, now the devil still has access to heaven. He can't stay there, but he has access to heaven according to the book of Job chapter 1, the day when the angels of the Lord appeared before the Lord. Among them was Lucifer. And the Lord asked Lucifer, what have you been doing? He says, I've been going up and down in the earth. And he said, well, what do you think about my man Job? And he said, oh, you're protecting him. And so, the, you know, you know the story well enough to go on. But Lucifer was there. He has access to the throne. He can't stay there. But now when you come to the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, he is cast out forever. And boy, he is upset. And that's when the great tribulation will take place on the earth. So in Revelation chapter 12, beginning with verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels war, waging war with the devil, dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb. So how will those tribulation saints overcome the devil? By the blood of the lamb. How do you overcome the devil? By the blood of the lamb. You plead the blood of the lamb. I just say to the devil, Jesus Christ died for that sin. I've confessed that sin. I've repented of that sin. It's covered by the blood of Jesus. Get away from me. You see, every time the devil reminds me of the past in my life and the evil things that I have done, I remind him of his future. He's going to spend eternity in hell and God will have the last laugh. So you use the word of God and you plead and claim the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that he shed for you on the cross of Calvary. And then the third thing, use the name of Jesus repeatedly, repeatedly. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18, we've already looked at it. It's about this little slave girl who's possessed by a demon and she follows uh, Paul and the disciples around and he said, they're the prophets of God. They bring salvation of the Lord. And uh, Paul recognized them <laughs> and he turned and he said to those demons, you get out of her, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, leave. And they left. There's one final thing, bear with me, and I'll promise the Lord, well, I hopefully we'll be through. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. And I want to close with this scripture reference here. In 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning with verse 8. Elisha uh, is a prophet of the Lord. And um, the king of Aram uh, has um, uh, been battling against Israel. And the Lord has revealed to Elisha the strategy of the king of Aram who has been Hadad. 
And Ben-Hadad can't understand why every time he comes up with a strategy to attack Israel, um, his strategy is fouled. He, he, can't, he can't do it. And so he thinks that somebody on his council uh, is, is a, a mole and it's le he's leaking or she's leaking evidence to Israel. And so every time he has a strategy to attack, uh, when he gets there, they're gone. They're not there. So he's thinking somebody is, is revealing his secrets to him. So let's look at it. Second Kings chapter 6 and verse 8. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God sent word to the king, word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you tell me which of us it is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, No, nobody is revealing your secrets, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. He says the things that you talk about in your bedroom, he knows. And he's telling the king of Israel so he can avoid you. Verse 13, so he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan, or Dothan. He sent horses, that is King Hadab, Ben-Hadad. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God, that is when the servant of Elisha, who rose early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So Elisha answered, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes, that is the eyes of the servant, that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray, so that he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elijah. Now, in my Bible, in 8th verse, it is the king of Aram. If you have the King James Version or one of the other translations, it will say the king of Syria. So they were under attack by Syria. And here's this servant walking out that morning to get the morning paper. And he looks out there and the whole city is surrounded by an army. Horses, chariots, soldiers, spears, arrows, hatchets, whatever they had. Completely surrounded. And he becomes afraid. And Elisha prays to God, Oh God, open my servant's eyes that he may see. And God opened his eyes to a dimension that is just as real as what you and I can see with our physical eyes today. The whole army of God, angels surrounding, warrior angels surrounding them there. What's going on in Syria today? War, 
Would it not be a miracle of God that instead of our saying, we're going to bomb them, that we would say, oh God, open their eyes. That they might see the angels of God. If you go on and read the rest of the chapter, Elisha prays that their eyes, that is the Syrian soldier's eyes, would be blinded so that he could escort them down to Israel, not to be destroyed, but to be kind to them, to feed them, and to say to them in essence, you're forgiven, let's live in peace. I don't know all the answers of things that are going on in the world, especially in Syria today, but wouldn't it be great if our prayer would be, oh God, open President Obama's eyes. Open the eyes of his counsel. Open the eyes of the president of Syria. Open the eyes of those who hate you and your kingdom that they might see the armies of God. Let's bow together. Thank you, Father, for your holy word, for the truth that it possesses and is. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will take your word and apply it to our hearts and lives today. And for whatever decisions that need to be made public today, give our people the courage and the strength and the leadership they need to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? And if God leads you, you come. <clears throat>